Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right, my hungry homies. My taste buds, my podcast pals, welcome back to another edition of How of Cards. Part of the Ringer Podcast Network, this is my friends, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, and I am, as always, your hungry host, Joe House. What a jam-packed show we have for you today, my House of Carbs friends. First of all, before we jump in, quick shout out. We've been getting great traffic on the Instagram, at the House of Carbs. Wonderful suggestion from at the Golden Porter, who said, like podcast pals and taste buds, he likes them, but how about mixing it up and going with a few uh, other variations on the theme, hungry homies, Famished friends, carb cravers. This could be a new weekly feature. Golden Porter, I think you're onto something. Hungry people, hit us up at the House of Carbs on Instagram and also our brand new Twitter feed at House of Carbs. You can hit us there as well. How about some, some wonderful suggestions on how you would like me and Juliet and everybody else in the ringer? House of Carbs universe to refer to you. Hungry Homies is great. I'm going to use it about 15 times on today's podcast. Speaking of today's podcast, what a show. Coming on right away, Cousin Sal. Last week, Cousin Sal was out in Brooklyn, New York. I obviously invited myself up to see him. I said, yo, cuz, I'm coming up. We got to eat. And the cuz got us in to a new food court in downtown Brooklyn, the DeKalb Food Market Cousin Sal and I went on a fork tour, and before we launched uh, off on that fork tour, we recorded a short podcast to talk about what our goals were. Also on today's show, of course, we have the food news. Star of today's show, the one, the only, Gail Simmons. Pals, let me tell you, I was a little intimidated. She's such a super-duper megastar in the food television world. I mean, the number one food television program in all of cable television, in the history of cable television. Gail Simmons is on to talk about her brand new book, her very first cookbook. So I'm very excited about that long conversation she and I had. Let's get in that belly with Cousin Sal. All right, podcast pals, my taste buds. I'm here live, coming to you live from Brooklyn, New York. I'm here to right or wrong. This next guest of, of ours here on House of Carbs, we've, we have not yet had him on the show. It's an outrage that it's been 
you know, 15 episodes and however many months we've, we've been doing shows here and have not had this gentleman. Let me, let me go through some credentials for this gentleman. Maybe most prominently, well, no, no, the, the second credential is going to be even more prominent. But this gentleman has, to date, the most unprecedented and unparalleled streak of successful NFL picks against the spread on, on, on ESPN, that sports channel. That's a fact. <laughs> This gentleman was uh, a, a star, is the star of, of House Eats 3 and the still unreleased House Eats 4. This man is, is the cousin to the man with the largest collection of David Letterman's neckties. And, and this man <laughs> happens to also host the Ringer's Own Against All Odds. Welcome, Cousin Sal, to House of... Carbs. <laughs> What's happening, House? Wow, that was spectacular. Hi, Thank buddy. you for having me. This sure. is great. I mean, look, this is the, I had this in my sights for a little while because uh, I know that you guys have been coming out here from the the, the left coast. Uh, you, you take the whole JKL production because of your New York roots, right. and you come back here to where it all started. Um, Brooklyn, New York. This is the third time that, that JKL's come out for a week? Third time. First time was the big hurricane, and we survived that. And then uh, we went two years ago. And uh, we're back now. Yeah, we're uh, Jimmy and I were born in Brooklyn. It's been great. We're in front of like a 2,000-person audience. The energy is great. People are terrific. And the food, off the charts, as you know. Well, this is why you're here, That's and this right. is why I uh, invited myself up here to Brooklyn. What I was really <laughs> angling for was an invite into whatever the room is, the receiving room at the JKL production here in Brooklyn, oh. so I could see the food come in and then, you know, maybe, maybe t you know, sample, taste, uh, ex experience right. it. Now, I know you have a big staff, so it felt like it was probably uh, a little bit inappropriate to, to tra take that role. Oh, I didn't care about that. I would have had you there in a second, yeah. But I, we, uh, we have a nice backup plan. We have a nice backup we, plan. We have a wonderful backup plan. you were very plan. wise. I thought maybe we would eat first and then discuss it later. But no, that is, um, you know, this, uh, this is before we're going to battle. We're off to uh, uh, a terrible country to do battle. And, uh, we, yeah, we don't want to come back and discuss it. No, the hungry people right. understand. Mm -hmm. Once you and I get going, that, that's going to be it. I mean, as they, some folks lucky enough to have seen uh, House Eats 3. Yeah. And if you want the link, Bill Simmons wrote about it a couple <laughs> columns ago. You can check that out. Cousin Sal and all of his eating, eating glory. Now, let's Wait, go. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, yeah. Bill wrote a, a very important column and, and god bless him we but neither of us would be here if not for bill writes a very important column about espn laying it all out very fair and then um kind of defends himself by saying you know he criticized this and that and then three three days later um he released house seats three which involved you and i and a, a vomit fest like no none other uh by yours truly, he called it silly. He's like, I'm not going to defend that. That was just silly. That's what, that is not silly. That's one of the most important things Grantland ever had. And uh, I think it kept the, the site going for another few months. Well, to this day, I, I venture to say it, it is uh, perhaps the most searched for um, uh, production that, that Grantland yes. uh, issued. I have no basis, in fact, for knowing that one way or the other. I'm just going to say good it. Good rumor, Pratt. Well, a lot of people hit me on the Twitter, where's House Eats 3? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, go... go Find it here, it's find it easy. there. Yeah. That's exactly right. So let's start with you've been here since Sunday, mm -hmm. and uh, let's Saturday night. Yeah. Saturday night, you and the degenerate trifecta on against mm -hmm. all odds right. set a line on last week's show. 
Tell the hungry people about that line. This didn't work out as, as I was hoping it would, but it was going to be, it was a New York-based proposition. I had come up with these fake propositions for Captain Morgan, and it was going to be the Jets and Giants combined losses. Now, granted, they're both like 10-point uh, uh, double-digit underdogs. Combined losses uh, versus number of slices of pizza I'm eating. Now, the Jets are underdog by 9.5. Giants are underdog by like 12.5 by the right. time it kicks off. I probably am going to have to eat 22 slices unless there's a blowout. No, not the case. The Patriots barely win, and the Giants win. So I'm, I'm actually owed— I had to like run on a treadmill. It was terrible. <laughs> it was not part of the deal at all. So that was a busted prop. But I, I've been eating. Uh, I've been eating enough. I have you saved. We're going out tonight. We're gonna go crazy eating. We're, ate, we're at the Decab Market. And have you not eaten lunch? You said you were hungry. I didn't eat anything today, oh Sal. All I've like, you see this cup of coffee that's yeah. in front of me right now. That's the only thing that I've eaten. Now let's wet our appetites mm-hmm. together. I want to hear a quick rundown of what you've experienced so far this week. I've had. Well, let me just tell you, like. Um, I've had a lot of pizza from DeFaro's and all these crazy places. Right? And there's this, um, and then like uh, this place we're going to today has Katz's Deli. They're just oh. the best pastrami. Oh, God. So I hit that three or four times. Yeah. And then it has like pierogies and stuff like that. It's, oh, you've it's already been, been to the market. I've been to this place. I had to scout it for you. It's like, it's like you know, I didn't know if it was appropriate for you. It's like watching a, a rated R movie that you want your 12-year-old to watch. But you're like, maybe I'll check it out just in case. I, 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 I am your 12-year-old. That's right. So that's very well done. <laughs> the role should probably be reversed. But no. today, I, I should have done what you did. You didn't eat lunch. I ate oh, I ate some I ate some crazy chicken from a place. Then I had that David Chang's that— uh, What's that? The the Momofuku? F-U-K- oh, yeah, the Fuku chicken. Yes, a I fuku. did. Fuku. You had a Fuku? Big mistake. Jesus. It's great, but it's so hot. And and of course, I, I rub my eye at 20 minutes later, and I'm gone blind, house. I'm going to go through this eating, uh, this, this, this crazy thing. I'm going to be blind walking through this market. We'll have to serve him a lawsuit. We know, Chang. We know how to get at him. <laughs> right, you know, right. Uh, he owes the, I know you restitution for that. Yeah, he may have we'll to. have to come up with to. something. You know, I know he could probably pay you off in shrimp buns. We'll <laughs> negotiate that for sure. So uh, noteworthy. So tell me about something from from this week in Brooklyn that you've eaten other than the fuku chicken uh, that's not been part of the the um, roster and resume before. Um, let me is there think a sandwich? About this. Is there a, a it would have, you know you don't I know Peter Luger's is not sending over steaks. I had a, there is a Peter the Peter Luger chef though um, is at this place called uh, Wolfgang's. It's oh. in the you know this place. I know Wolfgang's you famous. Do. Yeah, of course. Right. So now this one is in the, uh, where is this? In the, the battery? No, where I, I can't remember. Right, right, right downtown there. Across right? the bridge. Yes, right across yeah, the financial bridge. district. That Wolfgang's Terrific. area. I've been in that one. Oh, and the bacon is like six inches thick. Yes. And you cut it up and the wedge and the salad and everything. Oh. And then the steaks are, are enormous and spectacular. I'm and dying. I have to tell you this. I want to say this. This is on my bucket list. Uh, next to us, though, it's like kind of like an old gangster type joint, you know, next to us. These guys fit the bill. They have the jackets and everything. They recognize me from the podcast or Jimmy Kimmel Live. They call me over, and this is this is on the bucket list. He, the guy grabs me by the neck. He says, anything you want, ever, anything. You, you don't hesitate to call. Gives me his card, head of the carding business or something. So, so I'm that is that is Mount Rushmore for me. Let's that, call him up tonight. <laughs> Let's see what we can do for him. We might need an ambulance. Maybe you can get a snack. That's exactly yeah. right. We would need a stomach pump. Right. That's what we'll be using the first thing off the back. So speaking of stomach pump, you have I'm I'm so surprised that my jaw was down to the table when you talked about the scouting missions. I had on my list of things to chat with you. What should our strategy be? This joint has 40 vendors. You checked it out. I mean, I I did a little bit of research. 
which I saw the variety and array. We, we've got tacos, pierogies, fried mm-hmm. chicken. Obviously, cats is at the very top of the list. I mean, right. we're going to be pastrami. Pastrami is going to be coming out a lot of different orifices. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I have like pickles and pastrami <laughs> shooting out of my nostrils. It's, yeah. It's just crazy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tell, there's so, pierogies. There's this great lamb chop. I don't know if oh, I wrote down the name of it. Oh, oh the, I have you here, right? Very spicy, the spiciest lamb chops you'll ever have, but spectacular. Spicy lamb chops sounds yeah. delicious. We're gonna die. That right might be into the that. first thing. That might be the first thing tonight. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's do a quick over under. Let's go okay. through a prop, and then we're gonna go do some eating. Okay. And we'll so we'll let the hungry people see what we're up to. Check mm-hmm. it out. The House of Car at the House of Carbs Instagram. Uh, there will be stories. There'll be photos. Um, there may or may not be vomit. I mean, I can't make any promises. God, I, hope I mean, so. when the two of us get going, anything's possible. The over under, cause uh, we should have got a scale for this. We mm-hmm. should have stepped on a scale. But what would you say? What would you set the number at for calories we are going to consume? Wow. It's in the thousands. So what's the over? It is in the thousands. But I was thinking every, a lot of stuff that I want to tackle tonight is is protein. Oh, okay. Um, but I want protein. Yeah, I like protein. Screw that. You know how that ends up. It's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Then they have oh, they have this great dumplings place, which I'm pretty sure is not protein dumplings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna have to hit the, about a dozen of those each. It's really good. I'm gonna say. I'm going to say 3,325 and a half calories. It's very specific. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've thought All right. Well, yeah. well uh, I wish we could push the, the, this out and see what the people say. Actually, the people can chime in. Yeah, They'll chime hear this. In. They won't know one way or the other. <laughs> no. We'll lie to them. I mean, it doesn't matter. Well, we're going to, we're going to uh, document it, though. Right? Yeah, we are going to document it. Okay. If there's 40 vendors, how many are we going to hit? Um, they're ready for us. So Uh-oh. we could hit, we could actually. Call on people to start up another booth, and there'll be 41. 41. Yes. Oh, my God. Incredible. Yes. But okay. Yeah, we're, uh, hopefully, we're in the 30s. Can I do my last meal? Oh, my God. Cousin Sal. I mean, you're you're going to be a recurring guest on here. Oh, okay. Of you want me to wait? Oh, no, I, I want you to do it. You okay. came ready with the last meal. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, yeah. we want know. your last meal. Right. Believe me. All right. I don't know. It's one of those things. When you're young, do you, you may remember things different, but my grandmother's fried chicken, I thought, mm. was the best. And I loved it. And she fried it so so much breading on it. And I think my last meal would have to be a breast and a thigh of her fried chicken. Um, I would go my mother's noodle pudding. She has a, she puts cornflakes on. It sounds white trash, but it isn't. Cornflakes. Well, let me raised, interrupt you for a second yeah. before you keep going. I want to apologize to your mother yeah. because the last from House Eats Three, I saw the things <laughs> that she wrote. I don't. I'm sorry for for my my role as a co-conspirator in this. Uh, and and since I, I meant to give that shout out to your mom before, that's very. I nice. interrupted you. That's right. She was very upset. She sent me an email. I think I twi- uh, put it on Twitter. I, she's like, "You're gonna kill yourself." I was like, "I'll oh, relax. It's only every tw- two weeks we're gonna." And do this what <laughs> out but um she's ultimately right but her noodle pudding is really good it's got uh it's got raisins and it's got ricotta cheese mm. in it which um we i remember taking to the beach the cheese is is weird because it could go bad on you sure this noodle pudding is this is the number one meal that i've gotten sick over multiple times but still love only because i've eaten it like three days later and not refrigerated it uh with the cheese but anyway <laughs> grandma's fried chicken my mother's noodle pudding Nathan's fries. Oh, Nathan's fries. Stab it with the red little fork. 
I love those crinkly fries. Yeah, the crinkles. And this is going to sound a little pussy, but uh, a Coke Zero with the ice, with the nice uh, squared block ice. Why the Zero? What? I, I like the taste better than anything. You really, really do? do? Better yeah. than, than regular Coke yeah. with the sugar? Yeah, it makes me a little sick, the regular Coke. Yeah. I like the, the what well, it didn't make you sick when you were a kid drinking Cokes, did it? It really didn't. I don't know what happened to my stomach. <laughs> I think you turned my you stomach grew up. house. I did it. It, <laughs> New was, Orleans. it was the uh, the the oysters, the etouffee. <laughs> <laughs> it was one too many bites. Oh, what a disaster. It almost ended up up on Simmons' shoulder. That's right. an all-time regret that we didn't catch him to puke on it. I don't know that we would be friends right now if I had uh, my mission were complete. I really, I wanted to vomit on him because I, I felt he was swaying the votes away from me and uh, he just got out of the way. He's, he's agile. This, that's, that, that is his way. All right, cuz, we have some eating to do. Let's let's, do let, let's get to it. Thank you for joining us. You're, you're going to be on uh, many, many, many of these uh, broadcast podcasts, so thank you. God bless you. All let's right. do this. There we go, podcast pals. Fantastic conversation with the Cousin Sal. We set the stage. Look for on our Instagram. Lots of pictures. We're going to rerun some of the content from last week's Brooklyn Fork Tour with the Cuz. Before we jump into our usual weekly visit with Juliet on Food News, how about a quick word from our pals at Hotel Tonight? My hungry homies, you know that I tend to leave things to the last minute. If you do that for Halloween, that means you're going to end up rummaging through the dregs of party store bins trying to scrounge up a costume that's going to work. Like, okay, I guess I'm just going to be Guy Fieri again. But when it comes to booking a hotel, being last minute actually can work in your favor as long as you have the Hotel Tonight app. You can play it by ear and see how your Halloween goes. Maybe you need to ghost and find somewhere to escape to. Or maybe you will find the J-Lo to your A-Rod and you want to keep the night going. If you are the type that started planning your Halloween costume on November the 1st last year and you like to have things locked down ahead of time, you can actually book a room with Hotel Tonight up to seven days in advance, or you can even book up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. My pals, with Hotel Tonight, you will bag a sweet deal at a killer hotel. Whether you need a room for today, for Halloween, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. All right, my hungry homies, as we do on this House of Carbs. It is now time for Food News. And as always, we are here with the managing editor at The Ringer, host of the Bachelor Party and Jam Session podcast, not to mention a few new podcasts, I understand, Juliet Littman. Hi. Tell the hungry people about, I mean, what are, what are we doing here? You're, you're, I think you're on like six podcasts now. Well, I'm on House of Carbs, as I am right now. Every yes. Tuesday. And then starting right. uh, yesterday, I'm doing a Monday morning NBA podcast on the Ringer NBA show with our uh, colleague John Gonzalez. It's kind of like a here's what happened over the weekend. Let's look ahead to the week. Catch up on storylines. Gush about Giannis. Freak out about Mark Fultz because John's from uh, Philadelphia, you know, kind of all the essentials. Mm. It's kind of like it's I've been calling it a table setter. It's sort of like this is what's up in the NBA right now and what matters this week. So it's fun. It's good. And then uh, every other week, I'll also be doing Sources Say on the NBA show with Chris Ryan. Right. 
more of a gossip kind of off-court in- interpersonal drama NBA podcast. Really, that's really my my favorite thing. Um, I know. Before we get too far off course, how much did Steph Curry get fined? I missed the news. Uh, he was fined fifty thousand dollars, which is like ridiculous. Yeah, okay. Come on. Yeah. Come well, on. It's a mouth they all guard. goes to charity. Nice charitable donation. I know, but it's a mouth guard. It's not going to hurt anyone. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> catch me on the NBA show. Yeah, catch you. I mean, on on any NBA show, all the NBA shows. <laughs> yeah. Ring around NBA show. Subscribe on iTunes. That's it. So we have a jam-packed house of carbs today. Are you aware that um, this food news is occurring in between or on the heels of not only the very famous, the megastar, Gail Simmons, who I have to be honest, I was not at my at the top of my interviewing game. I was a little starstruck today, really? Julia. Really? You know, I, yeah. I actually, yeah. that doesn't surprise me because she is famous. She is awesome. She seems to like really have her shit together and I love her. So I can't wait to listen to that. I didn't want to be a food dope. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Was it in person? I just felt a lot of pressure to bring my game up. No, unfortunately. She offered to be in person, but I, I have to be down here in the DMV oh, uh, today. And she's in New York. She's about to launch a nationwide tour in support of her brand new, her first ever cookbook. So oh, cool. that will be a good listen. And then this, this show also features uh, the preview podcast the Cousin Sal and I recorded before we went off on our Brooklyn Fork Tour oh, last week. Cool. Um, that we, we made an Instagram story. There's pictures. There's all kinds of stuff. So Cousin Sal and I chopped it up a little bit um, as well. But there's always time for food news as long as you're around and I'm around. So let's talk about some food news. Yeah, let's news. do it. I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief. We got some good, some good ones. We don't need to... St- you know, it's not like I have a rant about candy this week or anything. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, did you see uh, my Twitter feed has lots and lots of pictures of people sending that, that, that the hungry homies have been sending in of Reese's in foil wrappers. Have you seen it? I have. I appreciate it. I'm glad to know that A, there may be some available and B, uh, I appreciate everyone listening. But as a point of concern, I hope those bags aren't like too old and that's why they're still around. Oh, it's a good point. Just it, it would be concerning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Let's get into the food news. I want to start with something crime related because this is an intriguing one. <laughs> so I love I love food crimes. <laughs> I love food crimes too. You know the, the hung I think the hungry people do as well. So House, have mm-hmm. you ever been to Hawaii? Hawaii. I hope I said I right. have not, but you know, I'm um I'm getting closer and closer. I actually had a conversation this weekend, like, can we go? How can we make this happen over over Christmas time. So uh, I haven't been. Uh, the Podfather himself was taking some pictures and sending them from a trip he took this summer to Hawaii. And I would have poke if I went to Hawaii. Yes. But anyway, I, I don't mean to hijack this food crime conversation. Well, Go ahead. It has, I haven't been to Hawaii. It has to do with Hawaii. I have. I love Hawaii. It's an excellent place. I recommend yeah. you going. So beautiful. So relaxing. Okay. Just great. And there's a ton of spam there. It's really popular. It's used in all kinds of meals um, for... All times Spam the day. delicious, the the delicious food, yeah. Item the can the can it's like canned meat or something. Canned meat, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Spam the canned meat. Spam the canned meat. Yeah. I had like a spam T-shirt when I was in middle school. I don't really know why. Um, oh, how cool would that be to bring that back? I now? know. I think I threw it away. It's probably worth two hundred dollars. <gasps> so spam has become the target of all these heists all over Hawaii and Oahu. And what happens is. Um, people in pairs go into grocery stores or drug stores, wherever they sell pa- spam, 
And one person like is like a decoy and distracts the staff while the other goes and grabs all the spam and then speeds away like like it's like some kind of jewelry heist or something like that. And it's suspected that the spam is used on like on the black market. And um, this Washington Post article cited suspicion that it's uh, used like for money for buying drugs. And they even have a story where the Honolulu Police Department is offering a $1,000 reward for a man and his accomplice who stole a case of spam on October 3rd. It's wild. They're having to put the spam behind, like, um, plastic, locked plastic cases like they do with, like, uh, um, razor blades or other expensive pharmaceuticals at, at like, a Rite Aid or CVS or whatever because it's such a hot commodity. I'm so confused by this. Why are they stealing the spam again? Because, okay, this is when you go to Hawaii, you learn that like everything's really expensive there because everything's imported. Like, even though they grow sugar in Hawaii, they they harvest the sugar cane, then it's sent off the island to be be refined, and then it comes back like imported, and then it's way more expensive. And so, all these groceries are, are just really expensive. And for some reason, spam is just the one that they're that they're stealing and reselling on the black market. And uh, and is it yes? Is it be- because of a huge appetite for spam in Hawaii, or is it just that it's the a convenient means of uh, turning? It's a product that that they could, the thieves can turn a, a quick profit on. The people who are stealing it are reselling it, and it's just like it's cheaper than at the grocery store. So like people are just like, oh okay, don't, but don't you have to? <laughs> You have to steal a lot to, yeah. to make a profit at this. Even if it, you know, you I have it for free, but I'm selling it for less than two fifty a can. So you're selling it for two bucks a can. Yeah. How many cans of spam do you have to steal for that to be really worthwhile? It feels a like lot. thousands, right? A lot. But let yeah. me just tell you, the Washington Post says Hawaii residents consume more per capita than in any other state. Some five million pounds a year. Six cans for every man, woman, and child, as National Geographic once noted. <laughs> That's an incredible amount of spam. I know. It's insane. And so it's a really hot commodity. Um, The thefts of spam in bulk appear to be a relatively recent phenomenon. Uh, And so hopefully they'll get in front of it. And see, there's a a black market for spam in in, uh, Honolulu. We need a Hawaiian. We need a Hawaiian on House of Carbs, or we need somebody to help us understand what are our folks, Hawaiian folks, cooking that they put the spam in. It seems like the answer is everything. It goes in with it goes with pasta. It goes with noodles. It goes with tacos. It goes with uh, your spaghetti and meat and, and spam balls. I mean, what, it seems like every breakfast, lunch, and dinner, spam, spam, spam. I know. Uh, also, the Washington Post says they eat spam fried rice or spam and eggs or a Korean spam stew called. Buddha jjigae, which I've heard is very good, and um, oh, it sounds good. A sushi like snack of cooked rice, spam, and teriyaki sauce wrapped in seaweed. There's like limit. There's no limit on how they're eating spam in Hawaii, and that's why it's such a hot commodity. It seems like spam might be having a moment because I will say uh, I was fortunate enough to be with um, Chef David Chang in the spring. Brag, and he makes a, a. a Korean. No, I mean he makes a Korean cool, stew. Man. Keep going with it. Keep um, going that with I like it. quite a much, quite a bit. It's a k- kimchi stew, and he put um, spam into it. And then we had as a guest on House of Carbs a few weeks ago, Filipino chef. Well, he's Filipino by origin. He's American Filipino, but um, uh, Alvin Kailan, 
who talked about being raised on spam. It was like uh, an, an elemental part of his morning breakfast uh, routine growing up as a kid, that, that spam was big in Filipino households, or at least his Filipino household. So maybe spam... Spam's always been there. I thought I was gonna. I was gonna try and say maybe spam's having a moment, but maybe it's it's always having a moment. Yeah, we're just finally noticing. Yeah, well, that's because we're white people. It's that's say because we're white. We're gringos. Mm-hmm. Okay, next story. This is another one, also kind of vaguely um, crime related, but like not really. Uh, there's a restaurant called Sweet Dixie Kitchen in Long Beach, California. Uh, it's rather popular. It has good Yelp reviews and they have fried chicken on the menu. And this guy named Tyler who lives in LA, which is just North of Long Beach has accused the restaurant of passing off Popeye's chicken as their own. Tyler wrote on Yelp before my friends and I got seated. We saw them quickly bring in two large boxes of Popeye's to the kitchen. I ordered the chicken and waffles to see whether or not they were serving Popeye's to their customers. I thought the chicken tasted suspiciously like Popeye's and was also rather stale. I kindly asked our waiter how they cooked their fried chicken, and after checking, he admitted that they do, in fact, use Popeye's. (laughs) So this is fun. This is like a good Yelp story. It goes on, because instead of denying it, sweet the sweet Dixie owner, Kimberly Sanchez, appeared to reply to the review, saying they proudly served Popeye's spicy tenders. Um, They also named other places from which they borrow food. And uh, it became a whole big story. And then ultimately, Sweet Dixie Kitchen responded again, saying that they didn't deny it, uh, but they did strongly defend the food that that they do make and saying that it was like an ingredient in in their bigger dishes. So it was quite the brouhaha. And thank you to Food Beast from where I'm reading all this information. Um, And yeah, I I love this story. It's a fun one. Because you want to know what? Everyone loves Popeyes. Everyone loves it. Yeah. That's the thing. Here's what what uh, is the jaw dropper to me. Why wouldn't you just say we're serving you chicken and waffles? And by the way, the chicken is effing Popeyes, y'all. Yeah, now you're we're making a waffle, and we're yeah, you're gonna. How good is this dish that we've put together? I have many, many, many questions. Obviously, first of all, I I just find the whole like reply thing and the and the defensiveness super curious. Just own it. It's Popeye's chicken. Everybody loves Popeye's chicken. But what is so uh, befuddling to me is why, uh, like, how do they go about buying enough Popeye's chicken to have it ready in the first place? And is Popeye's cool with this? I don't know. It's a good question. It seems like Popeye's, it seems like if you go into Popeye's and pay what they ask you to pay, for a box of chicken, and then you take that chicken and go back to your own establishment and then sell it in 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 connection with a dish that you've made that Popeyes ought to be cool with it. They ought to uh, maybe even be honored by it. And maybe it's the case that you can't say that we proudly serve Popeyes chicken because they're not a franchisee. They don't have a legal relationship. And so, you know, tagging on to uh, tagging along, getting the the bump, the Popeyes bump. Maybe that that gets them into some legal trouble. Um, I guess so. They, maybe that's why they the chicken and waffles cost fifteen dollars at Sweet Dixie. So that's also <laughs> a really big upsell. Like it's that's just a big upsell. I mean, that's an expensive waffle because you know a, a two piece at Popeyes is you know uh, you can get a two piece for around five six bucks. Two piece and a biscuit. Yeah. 
um, depending on what portion of the country you're in. So that's a $10 wall. Now, I understand when you go to a restaurant, a lot of what's built into the price is, is you know, the service and, and the upkeep of the joint and the fixtures and everything about the whole experience that, uh, that, that goes along with the sit-down restaurant. So you're not just, you know, strictly, there's not a one-to-one relationship here between the cost of the Popeyes and the cost of the dish. That's true. Um, I kind of want to go I, now. I, I do. I'm, this sort of piques my interest. Like, well, maybe I need to go to this place. Okay. How far away is Long Beach from... from uh, like an hour. Not so bad. Hollywood. Hollywood. Like an I, that's hour. A, that's a worthwhile field trip. That's yeah. a field trip. Yeah. You, I, you need to go on a House of Carbs field trip and, and go there, take some pictures and report back. Absolutely. Positively. Yeah. We it, have to have it. It's, um, it seems like there was an... Um, go ahead. It's 30 miles. I can make it happen. You can do it. It feels like there was a missed opportunity because they could have done something gorilla. You know, these days with social media, it's not that they had to put proudly serving Popeye's chicken on the menu and get themselves in trouble with the good people behind Popeye's. But you could spread the word and maybe this is their brilliant marketing move, right? Maybe this whole Yelp thing, maybe this whole outrage is a plant. Right. Now is they're it possible? On the what do you think about that? I don't this think is a so. conspiracy theory that I'm advancing. No, I, I I love conspiracy theories and want to subscribe to all of them, but I'm not sure about this one. <laughs> well, it's very because they seem a little you, flat-footed, right? You're very. Well, you're, I'm trying to come up with yeah, it. You're trying to defend them. I like it. There's just, you would always want to have people know that you have Popeyes available. That's the thing to me. Like you know, you would you would never run from it. Also, it's like yeah, good taste. Popeyes is great. Yes. Sweet Dixie Kitchen has Popeyes. Yeah. yeah, sure. I'm in. Hello, Sweet Dixie Kitchen. I'll try everything that you have, as well as the delicious Popeyes. Anyway. Okay. Moving on. This is a story so, from- To the- be continued. <laughs> we'll, we'll, I'll tell you more after I go. Um, here's yeah. a story from Florida. This is from the Orlando Sentinel. The city of Orlando paid $37,500 to a man to settle a lawsuit after police officers arrested him for what they thought was meth, but was actually tiny flakes of glaze from a Krispy Kreme donut. His name is Daniel Rushing, and he sued the city after a field test incorrectly showed he had drugs and he was arrested and taken to jail. He received the check in the mail last week. And he said he is pleased with the outcome and hopes the whole thing gets expunged from his record. I hope it does, too. And I have a lot of concerns about Krispy Kreme donuts if they're this easily confused for meth. <laughs> well, first of all, uh, with with all due respect to our good pals down in Orlando, Florida, this does seem like a pretty Orlando, Florida kind of story. It really does. It's like it's like here right? or like I mean, in Albuquerque where um, Breaking Bad took place. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So this is a 64-year-old dude. So he 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 you know, he got pulled over for speeding and he's got a another church parishioner in in his car with him who you imagine, I mean, I don't want to make it fill in the blanks on my own, but I would guess it was probably somebody in that same age bracket. Sure. Uh and they they're pulled over and the Orlando police have clearly been so uh, I don't know, desensitized. Like anybody can be a meth mule down there in Orlando, <laughs> Florida, right? Anyone. It has to be that. It has to be the case. Because first of all, why did they search his car for 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 speeding? He and failing to come to a complete stop. Why did he? Why did they have to search his car? Well, the woman who did it said they saw a rock-like substance on the floorboard where his feet were. <laughs> <laughs> oh right! Like did, is this, like a buildup of of donut glaze. Like how much did he have? <laughs> so how about weird. this? 
Sure. That's exactly what it was. Guilty as charged. Like if you have a dozen, you just said it. If you have a dozen Krispy Kremes and those things slide around on the floor at all, or if you're eating them, a big hunk falls off and now onto the floor, one of those glorious morsels goes undetected, right? I'm driving, I'm eating four at a time, which is how I do Krispy Kreme. And, and a beautiful morsel falls down onto the floor and then oh you're speeding while you're eating those your your four donuts well of course I'm speeding I'm eating four donuts officer <laughs> and then he looks in the car and on the floor is a is one of those glorious morsels glistening up in the in the Orlando sun I guess that could look like a meth rock apparently he had left a 7-eleven and this 7-eleven was under was being monitored because of um, complaints about drug activity there so he was like just, uh, okay it was a real wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. But luckily he got off because they just figured out it was just sugar. But like, seriously, how bad is Krispy Kreme for you that it can be like even remotely similar to meth? That's really bad. <laughs> well, it's not just <laughs> that he got off. They paid him $37,000. Yeah. They paid him $37,500. That's like a year So they long... had to subject. Yeah, that's great. It's like Dude, a, that's you're lot. absolutely they, they must have roughed him up a little bit or something. I don't know why why they had to pay him all that money. Are they? I mean, because he sued them for the faulty drug testing. I guess that's the thing. Yeah, I guess he's standing so. up for for donut eaters in Orlando countywide. So God bless him. God God bless Daniel Rushing. <laughs> God bless him, and he can take his money to Whole Foods, where our last food food news story of the week is. Um, it's uh, not going to go very far. No, it's not because. As you recall, Amazon bought Whole Foods and they kind of did like a big takeover a month or so ago where they lowered all of these prices. There was like tilapia and avocado and apples, like all really cheap, great stuff. They lowered the prices as Amazon does. However, now back here at the end of October, despite all the publicity, the prices are barely lower than before the merger. The story comes to us from Business Insider. And they say that Bezos has shown that people obviously want to shop at Whole Foods Market at the Price is Right, but they won't do so if they discover that all he's using is a gimmick to lure them in the door. I don't know if that's true, but I do appreciate them calling out the fact that the prices are basically back to where they were before. Yeah. Alexa, I'm getting gouged again. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Alexa, what the fuck? Alexa, lower my prices. <laughs> Alexa, thanks for the bait and switch. Yeah. It was like a big marketing ploy, basically, with this whole thing. It was just Of course get, it was. Yeah, you know what? Fine. Sometimes I'm like happy to be manipulated. I don't I still don't like Whole Foods. I, I don't shop there, so this doesn't this I'm just like, yeah, Whole Foods Whole Foods is expensive. What do you guys expect? I mean, it was and and again, it was the least woke, uh, you know, most extra uh, you know, grocery store yeah. list in in the history of of you know. It was literally avocado shopping. and tilapia. Like those were the, those were like two yeah. mainstays. So, I'm surprised. Yeah, and and gluten free granola. I'm sure that was in there too. Yeah, exactly. So anyway. back to your grocery store as per usual. Whole Foods when you really need it, but otherwise, you know, just go local. What, yeah. What's close to you? Uh, <laughs> that's exactly right, Alexa. I'm bending over. Please insert my groceries. Yeah, exactly. At maximum price. <laughs> Gee, many Christmas. Anyway, yeah. what else is new? That's right. The world is back to normal. That's what I got for you this week, Hass. That's a great one. That's a great one. And I'm so happy we have a new field trip for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll report back. I got you. Okay, I can't wait. <laughs> Thanks, Juliet. You got it, House. And uh, next time we talk to Gail Simmons, please tell her I'm a huge fan.
Oh my God, I would have immediately. I, I, <laughs> another missed opportunity. She invited me for brisket fried rice, so I'll, I'm definitely oh going to take her up on that. And maybe I'm going to invite you. Let's yes. let's figure out when we can see her together and ha- have her make brisket fried rice for us. That yeah, sounds great. Absolutely. Of course you're in. Of course you're in. <laughs> Thanks, Harris. All right, good times. Love you, Juliet. Love you too. Bye. There we go, my taste buds. Another outstanding food news with Juliet. We're going to jump into our fantastic conversation with Gail Simmons here in a moment. But before we do that, how about a word from our friends at Zip Recruiter? Are you in need of great talent for your business but short on time? You do not have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools, smarter tools. What if hiring could be easier, more streamlined, and less time-consuming so that even when you're busy, you still have time to be smart about the way that you hire with ZipRecruiter? You can post your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click so you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology. I love smart matching technology. They put it to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of the posting so that you receive the best possible matches. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, they do not depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's an easy-to-use dashboard that lets you manage your hiring process from start to finish all in one place. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Find out today, my podcast pals, why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results right now. House of Carbs listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. F-R-E-E spells free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. One more time. Go try it for free. What's holding you back? ZipRecruiter.com slash carbs. My hungry homies, we also have a nice word from our good pals at First Leaf. How about these words? Angular, cassis, opulent. If you are not familiar with those wine terms, well, congratulations, you're just like me. I don't care if wine clubs and critics babble on about herbaceousness. Ooh. I've been known to babble on about herbaceousness, but not about wine. I just want to know, does this wine taste good? Luckily, I found First Leaf, the only wine club that is based on your tastes. I just received my own First Leaf order, and these are some damn fine wines. Here's how it works, my podcast pals. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting the color, wine regions, and frequency of your wine shipments. I like it very frequent. First Leaf then creates an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. And the point of this is to let you go ahead and try it out and make sure that your tastes are in line with what they imagine your taste to be. So I received three outstanding bottles, two whites and a red, because in my house, my better half likes the white. I enjoyed very much the deep uh, burgundy that I um pursued from the First Leaf. Both First Leaf's first introductory pack 
you'll get all three for just five bucks each. That's a great way to get started. Normally, these bottles of wine go for 20 bucks each, if not more. When your bottles arrive, rate the wine to get personalized selections based on your own personal unique tastes. The more wines you rate, the better your recommendations will be. First Leaf eliminates the middleman and works directly with the world's foremost wineries in France, hello Burgundy, Italy, and Napa Valley. First Leaf is my new favorite way to rate and buy quality wine. To order your three-pack of introductory wine for 15 bucks, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash carbs. That's three bottles of wine, my pals, for only 15 bucks. At, listen to this, tryfirstleaf.com slash carbs. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash carbs. All right, my podcast pals, my taste buds, we are incredibly thankful to have today's guest. She has been with the mega hit culinary competition show, since its inception in 2006, now heading into its 15th season, the number one food show on cable television, Top Chef, and Gail Simmons is a trained culinary expert, a food writer, and speaking of food writer, has a book coming out, her very first cookbook, Bringing It Home, Favorite Recipes from a Life of Adventurous Eating. Gail Simmons, welcome to House. Of cars. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm thrilled. Please, I'm a fan. I'm psyched about it. And thanks for that lovely intro. <laughs> well, I want to start with, I have a whole bunch of things. I, I We have about a half hour. I don't know how in the hell we're going to fit this all in. But uh, I want to start with the book because yeah. uh, it comes out tomorrow. I know you're very, yeah. very, very excited. I am. You have a national tour coming up. Can't believe it. Yeah. I sure do. I'm about to hit the road. So I, I have questions about that, but what I want to start with kind of the big picture. Um, I, love, I love this quote from a recent story um, that you, you offered on this. They, you, you, you observed, people know the TV gale. They know the cocktail dress, the hair, and the makeup sitting behind a judge's t- table gale. You uh, observe that this book um, is letting you tell your stories and letting people get to know you in the kitchen because that's a massive side of you that we never get to see on the show. Tell us yes. about that massive side of you. Well, I just think that, you know, the show shows one side of me, which is obviously me, but it's just a very curated version of me. It's very one-dimensional. It's me talking very seriously about food, sitting at this judge's table, and being very critical in a positive way. I think I'm constructive, but there's just so much, I think, about me, my cooking, my background, and my passion for food that no one really gets to see if you're just watching Top Chef. One of the things I know um, that you include in the book, you start with you know uh, lessons learned from your extensive time on the show. Um, share with us some of those lessons. I mean, where to start? The thing that I love about being on Top Chef, I mean, there's a lot of lessons I've learned from spending as much time as I have around the best chefs in the world, the travel I've done, being on food television and and working with, cooking with so many great chefs that I've had the privilege of working with over the years, um, is that I really learned so much. But what I love about Top Chef is that it has really 
given me a chance to focus in on very specific ways that I think the chefs cook in the kitchen that we have then been able to relay to a larger audience and seeing what it's like to work in a professional kitchen. A lot of viewers and fans come up to me all the time and say, you know, this, this is all great to watch a chef do this, but I'll never do this. And it's not really applicable to me. And it's so intimidating. I don't really understand half the things that they're doing, even though it looks really fun and cool. And what I say and what I have in my book is this chapter that really goes into all those lessons that people say all the time, that you hear us talk about all the time on the show, but that are all absolutely applicable to the home kitchen. So, for example, you're always hearing me and Tom and other guest chefs on the show say things like, that dish needs acid, or you didn't rest your meat enough, or you really need to cook from your roots and own your food. And what does that really mean? And in the in the home kitchen, it's just the same. It's the same lesson applied in a slightly different way, in a in a more home cook way. The reason, for example, that we always use acid in our food is because acid brightens and lightens everything we eat, and it it's a counterbalance to something like fat. So, learning to add acid to food at the right time and in the right dish, and using learning to use the right kind of acid, for example, whether it's lemon juice or um, vinegar, or even some sort of food that has an acidic point to it, will just make your food taste better and give it a more well-grounded flavor. And so, obviously, when you're cooking at home, that applies being the exact same way. So there's lessons like that that, you know, Top Chef is famous for, things like, we're always joking on the show that there's so many scallops cooked on Top Chef or so many crudos. Every season, there's always this ingredient that is overcooked with so often, you know, scallops is really a big one. For for years, there were seasons when people just cooked scallops over and over again, and they always made fun of it. But the truth is, there's a reason people choose scallops. They cook quickly. You can make them in hundreds of different ways. You can eat them raw. You can braise them and bake them and sear them and grill them, and they can always be different. And most of all, they're fast. And when you're under a time crunch, if you're in a quick fire challenge or you just have people coming over, to eat at your house for dinner in 20 minutes and you need to go something fast that will still look elegant and professional, scallops are the way to go. So things like that. So, so you just touched on something um, that I want to explore a little bit, both in connection with the book, um, but also just kind of the status of, of the show. I had as a guest on um, the podcast a couple of months ago, the uh, our resident TV critic at The Ringer, Andy Greenwald. And Andy and I spent probably 20 minutes um, giving very, very, very luscious kisses to Top Chef because we recognized it for, and this was what we were sort of going back and forth on, um, the demystifying of food, taking that sort of intimidation factor out of what had previously been the way that food shows um, were delivered to the eating public. And we were sort of um, comparing notes on how Top Chef helped usher in what we kind of think of as the rise of this incredible food moment. This the the over all sort of media platforms, food is extremely um, interesting to people. There's a huge <laughs> appetite for it. Not to make a bad pun. Um, and we thought that the, the Top Chef conceit, the idea of taking folks who are not well-known names 
and putting them into a high stress environment and watching what they do. And then the very um, thoughtful and, and uh, deliberate way that the judges interface, you and, and Tom and Padma over the years have interfaced with the cooks, had a really um, important role in making food feel a lot more accessible to people. Um, so first, uh, yeah. yeah, right. Is, 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 was that a, always a deliberate goal of the show? Always. Um, it, you know, you, touched, you just mentioned a lot of things that obviously are what we now do very intentionally. When we started, we were just figuring it out, and we were doing what we thought was important to show what it's like to work and live in a real world of professional kitchens. But we didn't know people would react to it because it really was the first show of its kind to do just that. Um, but I think there's two pieces to the show that, that people who watch the show, whether you cook or don't, really appreciate and, and, and take to. One is that you're watching professionals do their craft at the highest level, and that's really exciting. And it's in a competitive fashion. So like sports, there's a lot of tension and stakes, and that makes it really extraordinary. And you're also watching professionals the same way you're watching a pro baseball player or a pro, pro football player do something that you can't necessarily do. And so it's amazing just to see people at that level perform. The other piece is that everyone can relate to food. So even if you don't cook, everybody eats. We are human. It's what sets us apart and civilizes us, is that we are the only species on Earth that cooks our food. And it's also what unites us. And so even if you don't love to cook at home, it's this common ground that we can all appreciate and have an opinion about. People tell me all the time, I don't understand why the show is so successful because you can't taste the food. But that's where we come in. And that's what I think our role is and what we take so seriously on the show is that we are your taste buds. And we want to teach you, but not in a preachy way. But we want to make sure that when I'm tasting a dish, I can articulate so that the audience at home understands and it makes their mouth water and it makes them want to go out to a restaurant and eat or get back into their kitchen and try something they never tried before. Or it just makes them want to taste new things or try, you know, try new ingredients. And I think that we've been really lucky in that we learned very early on that we have a very smart audience that wants to learn all these things and wants to watch professionals do it. So um, we've just been able to then make the show better and better every season and, and the contestants to come on get better and better as we go because there's a part in the time, a hunger for it, an appetite for it. And we were also lucky that the timing of the show happened to be at a moment in popular culture where food has become a, a massive conversation piece. It's part of politics. It's part of economics. It's part of the, you know, the conversations about the environment. So all of these things touch on the greater world that we're in, and I think everybody can relate to them in some way. Yeah, we gave, Andy and I gave Top Chef a lot of credit for innovating um, before the real rise of social media, you know, because you yeah. guys predated Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, all, all of which, you know, in, in addition to what other additional forms of social media are out there. I'm too old to know about all of them. But the uh, the way that people are able to have that common experience, that common bond around food and how Top Chef, you guys tapped into that pretty early. How have you found um, in your, your inside the show, how have you found, you know, the rise of social media to have affected how you guys think about how you deliver the show? Hugely. I don't think there's anyone who can deny that social media has 
change the way that media in general operates. And I mean, it touches all of our lives in so many ways. Um, certainly, it helps us spread the gospel. But even more right. than that, it's given everybody a voice, which makes everybody a critic, right? Yep, um, and yep, sometimes yep. that drives us all crazy. I mean, Tom and I joke all the time that we've created a society of monsters, because now when I sit down in a restaurant, I can hear the people sitting beside me, the 23-year-olds who are taking pictures of their food, talking about how this dish needs acid and how they are, <laughs> you know, going into and breaking down and an- overanalyzing their dishes. And everybody's a critic, and everybody has a voice. But the truth is, I think it's also democratized food for us, for all of us. It doesn't yes. now matter who you are. You don't. Everyone's a VIP. Everyone needs to be treated fairly. So that changes the way restaurateurs look at their diners, because you you never know who has a following, who has a a huge social media contingent, who. Um, is writing a blog. So you want to make sure that everyone gets the same treatment, and that's a good thing. I also think that it has forced everyone to step up their game. Um, For sure. Speak more thoughtfully about food. Um, You know, sometimes I do think it poses issues because some people don't necessarily know about that much about food, but feel that they need to become a food critic. And that can be very destructive to restaurants and chefs if you are speaking from a really subjective voice about food as opposed to a more objective voice. Um, and that's what we try to do on the show. But ultimately, I think it's also, you know, it's changed the way that we all look at our food. It's made food look, uh, have to be more beautiful. It's made chefs have to work a little harder to be more innovative. And it's made everybody more hungry, which is ultimately a really great situation. I mean, and then the nuts and bolts of our show has changed because of social media. We do challenges where we can now tweet or post about a challenge that we're doing live and want some audience members to come meet with us in the city we're shooting in. And within a half an hour, we have 500 people lining up the door and they get to be part of the challenges themselves. We've done now over the last several seasons, starting in Boston, challenges that we craft around our fans and give a select number of our fans the opportunity to come into the kitchen and eat with us. And we do that all because of social media. And it's been so rewarding because we actually get to spend time with our fans in every city in a way that we never would have before. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. You mentioned the Democrat... I'm going to botch this. Uh, I haven't had enough coffee today. The Democrat... Blah, blah, blah. Making food yeah, more available across. That's yes. it. Democratization. I was an English major. You would think I'd be able to get that out. Democratization. I got you. uh, (laughs) I appreciate you. Thank you for the hookup. (laughs) So look, uh, one of the things, and this is is, um, part of what's covered in the book, um, and what I'm interested in um, hearing your thoughts on a little bit, um, there are a whole bunch of cuisines that feel like they're just now being discovered. Um, where maybe they're they're just sort of being reinvented, or maybe it's from um, the rise of uh, folks who grew up in kitchens and now are able to share their their uh, background, their culinary food, and what I mean, their culinary experiences. And and one cuisine in particular that I'm thinking about is Filipino food, and the moment yes, that that seems to be too. having right right now. Um, talk a little bit about how uh, you, well, in the first place, 
your your own sort of thoughts on that and how it informed your approach to the book because I know that for instance the Singapore style noodles was a real inspiration for you in getting this book off the ground and I'm also That's interested right. in the it show was. you know how the show's handling that the sort of rise of micro ethnicities um, and and how to handle yeah. that I, you know, what I think is really exciting is that it speaks to the bigger universe of diners in this very moment in America and how sophisticated we are, how excited we are by food discovery, and how we're always looking for the next delicious thing, and that is why I do my job every day. So, Mm -hmm. it used to be that there was Chinese food, and there was Italian food, and there was Japanese food, but now, after years of, you know, travel becoming easier, um, the world becoming smaller, globalization becoming more attainable, we now know that Japanese food is not just Japanese food. Japanese food encompasses endless regionalities, endless um, disciplines. There's yakitori, there's sushi, there's um, udon, there's ramen, there's soba, there's kaizeki, there's, you know, so it means a thousand different things. And here in America, especially in big cities like New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, you can eat all of those different micro regionalities and styles in any given week and and you can there's now an appetite for us to do so which is really exciting um so that's the first thing and then it lends itself of course to deeper discovery of cuisines like filipino cuisine for example that until recently was really thought of as a home cooked cuisine and there because there weren't many filipino restaurants because most really great Filipino food was cooked at home and, and there weren't big restaurants in America that showcased it. Um, it wasn't really discovered here in a big way, except for by the, you know, the ethnicities themselves. And now there's a chance for them to not only express themselves and there's opportunities to eat authentic Filipino food, but opportunities for chefs to play with that food and reach into who they are as chefs, travel to that area, get inspiration from it, and for it to be adopted, hopefully in a respectful way with integrity, um, by the many chefs here who love those flavors. So, you know, the same applies. You don't just eat Italian food now. You eat Southern Italian food, Northern Italian, Piedmontese food. When you go out for Chinese food in New York these days, I'm not going out for Chinese food. I'm going out for Szechuan or Hunan or Cantonese food. And so I think that's just exciting because it shows that we're all getting deeper and deeper and demanding more. Um, more authenticity, more integrity, um, and it allows us all to be more educated as, as diners and as cooks. Yeah, Korean so food I, is another you... great example. You know, Korean food was Korean food was a, a a cuisine that you could get in Koreatown, and then it kind of got onto food trucks, and it became a food truck phenomenon. And now it's become one of the most exciting modern cuisines in America. You, you mentioned in the book you have a recipe for um, a Singapore-style noodle, uh, the name of which yeah. I'm going to botch, so I'm not even going to try it. I'll let you um, talk about it. Ho- ho- say yeah, it again. Hokkien Ho Hokkien. Yeah, Hokkien noodles. Um, tell us about that. How did you encounter it, and why did that end up why, – why did you have to have that in the book? So Hokkien noodles are a traditional noodle that um, is found in Singapore – it has roots in a few different cultures. Obviously, it's, it, you know, Singapore has influences from all over Asia, from Indonesia, from China, 
from Malaysia. And Hokkien noodles is sort of very specifically special for Singapore. And the Singapore food culture is sort of extraordinary because no matter who you are, no matter what level, no matter how much money you have, everyone in Singapore eats at hawker centers, which are sort of like food courts. Huh. That uh, are, I'd never heard that before. You know, food stalls, hawker centers, how you eat in Singapore. I mean, of course, there's very sophisticated restaurants in Singapore, too. But every day, thousands of eaters, whether you work as a politician or as a plumber, everyone eats in hawker centers because it's cheap, it's fast, and the food is incredible. And mm. you can get such a diversity of food in hawker centers. They're really like food courts. A lot of them are outdoors, but they're very sophisticated. Some of them have 20, 30, 50 stalls. And there's a history of these stalls being passed down from generation to generation. It's very hard to establish a food stall at a hawker center in Singapore. And when we were in oh. Singapore for season seven of Top Chef, I went on a food crawl one day with David Chang and Tom Felicio and my former editor-in-chief from Food and Wine, Dana Cowan, um, which was led by a man named K.F. Cito, who is probably the foremost expert in the world on hawker centers in Singapore. And he took us to probably 15 or 20 different in one day all over the city. We ate everything from laksa, um, which is a traditional Indonesian soup, I mean, sorry, Malaysian soup, to um, very traditional Indian food because there's a very strong Indian influence and Malay influence in, in Singapore. And we went to a stall that made very traditional Hokkien noodles, which is a noodle dish that has two kinds of noodles, a thin rice noodle and a thicker wheat noodle. It has pork in it and seafood, usually shrimp and or squid. It is based with a very rich seafood stock. And then there's lots of fresh herbs and mung bean sprouts. And everything is tossed together sort of in a stir fry. It comes together in seconds. And at the very end, they squeeze calamari juice on top of it, which is oh my. a very specific citrus to that part of Asia. It looks like a little lime, but when you cut into it, it's orange, and it sort of oh. has the tartness of a lime, but the sweetness of a mandarin, and you can't okay. get fresh calamansi here in America. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. For whatever reason, importation laws don't allow it. So, I ate these noodles, and they were perfection. You know when you come across a dish that you're like, I can't believe I've never heard of this dish before, and all I want to do is eat it every single day. I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> I ate it three or four times when I was in Singapore. I came home, and it haunted me. And so I set out to find a version of it, and I could not find a version in New York City at a restaurant that made Hokkien noodles the way I remembered them. And so I was frustrated, and instead of just giving up, I decided, well, why don't I just try and make them myself? And I spent a long time figuring out, sort of hacking the code to making Hokkien noodles in America. Now, I don't have the same type of wok that this man used and he's been using for generations, and I didn't have calamansi, and I don't necessarily always have the time to make a very elaborate seafood stock from scratch every day, but I tweaked it enough that I still think it maintained its integrity, but really encapsulated the essence of the flavors of that dish that I love so much, and that was the impetus for me to say, you know what, if I can do this and it's so delicious, I need to share it with the world. And I have so many other dishes like that. And that's why I decided to write the book. Yeah, I want to, um, and I, I love that story and I can't wait to check out that recipe. You were born and raised in Canada. 
how much of um, what shows up in the book sort of bears the, your, your sort of Canadian uh, culinary experience? Quite a lot, actually, which people think is funny because um, people always ask me what Canadian cuisine is, and I used to not be able to tell them, but I've now lived away from Canada for almost 20 years, and my, my, my lure home is definitely based in, and what I miss the most about Canada are the flavors. It's not necessarily specific dishes, although there definitely are dishes, but there's a flavor and a grit and, a, and a, an ethic to a lot of Canadian food that I love so much. Um, and then, of course, there are dishes that I can't believe don't exist in America because they are so effing amazing. And every time yeah. I'm home, they blow my mind, and I'm like, why doesn't America have these dishes everywhere? And so there's a few of them in my book in my hopes that people will appreciate them as much as I do. So... Two specific dishes that have a really big Canadian stamp in my book are, um, they're both desserts, actually, and they both use maple syrup as their star ingredient. The first is called tart au sucre, and it's a very traditional French-Canadian maple sugar pie, and it's so oh easy to make. The oh first my. time I ever made it here was from Marcus Samuelson, one of my favorite chefs of all time. <laughs> and Marcus, in one seating, I mean, so you, a, you started off low. You aimed low. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, no pressure. But I made this no pressure. for a television show we did together a couple of years ago, and he'd never heard of it before. And in one sitting, while we were shooting the show, he ate half the pie. Yeah. Because it was so addictive and so delicious. And so that dessert is obviously in the book. Another one is called Pudding Chomer, which is translated to mean four-man pudding. It came out of the Depression in French Canada because it's very cheap to make. But it is sort of like a sticky toffee pudding, but the main ingredient is maple. And I make it with sautéed pears. And it oh. is super delicious and, like, just really homey. If you like that sort of soft, moist, sticky toffee pudding, then you will love pudding shimmer. So both of those recipes sound like, you know, we're, it's about to be November, which means every day I yeah. think about Thanksgiving. Yeah. They sound like perfect Thanksgiving are, um, they recipes. Are. They're actually both perfect Thanksgiving recipes. Um, you know, I don't want to deter anyone from making their traditional pumpkin pie, but if you're going to make another pie besides pumpkin, tartar soup is the perfect Thanksgiving recipe. And in fact, that's why I made it for Marcus that day, because we were doing a holiday special for a show that we did together called The Feed, and I made tartar soup for dessert. Fantastic. Are there any other Thanksgiving traditions in the Simmons household? Let's think. I mean, there certainly are for the holidays. My mother, you know, I was raised in, I was raised in a Jewish household, and my mother was a very spontaneous, very modern cook, but there were a few things she made that I can never have a holiday without, and they're pretty traditional, although in the book I put my own spin on them. My favorite is for brisket, and I've adopted it and tweaked oh. it, which she isn't that happy about. But I still, <laughs> I think it is the best brisket. It's a horseradish crusted brisket, and oh my um, goodness. it's pretty awesome. Doesn't matter if you grew up eating Jewish brisket or not. This is not a dry, tough brisket. It's so savory, and the horseradish gives it so much depth, and it's really amazing. Yes. And then a dish that's become sort of a modern tradition using that brisket is that we always make way too much brisket. Hanukkah, and Great. we never know to use the leftovers until recently, a few years ago, 
I sort of realized that every year we make biscuit for Hanukkah and then we go out for Chinese on Christmas because there's no restaurants open on Christmas. Yes, yes, and yes. And I had all this little leftover brisket and I decided, well, why don't I just take my own Chinese feast on, on, on Christmas? And I took the brisket and I made brisket fried rice, which is oh. sort of a random Jewish Chinese mashup with lots of hot sauce and herbs oh. and, you know, traditionally like scrambled eggs. And lots of chopped leftover brisket, and it's killer. And it's my favorite thing to eat on Christmas now. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a miracle. I love it. Um, well, then you got to make it, or hopefully one day I'll be able to make it for you. Um, that would be fantastic. So we mentioned how you're about to embark on a nationwide tour um, promoting the book, and you're on the road quite a bit as it is anyhow. Um, my question, h- how do you eat on the road? Uh, good question, complicated question. Yeah. I spend a lot of time traveling, especially for Top Chef, and I'm about to hit the road for the better part of a month. Um, you know, on Top Chef, it's sort of different when we're shooting because we shoot in one place for several right. weeks, if not months at a time. We still often live in hotel rooms, but we have some kind of kitchen set up. And I'm not cooking elaborate meals, but I can do a little bit of grocery shopping, you know, for basics and for snacks. And we're eating on set a lot. But when I'm eating right. or traveling in a city... I mean, by nature, all I want to do is explore that city. So I spend a yeah. lot of time and effort researching where I need to eat in that city for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and making sure I hit all of those spots. I love getting recommendations from locals and experts of all kinds. I'm always open to my cab driver telling me his favorite restaurant and me going to check it out because you, you just learn so much from, obviously, the people who are eating at all different levels at all times. And I think that's awesome. When I'm on the road for my book tour, for example, I'm not in any place for more than a day or two. So I'm going to rely on way too much airport food, sadly. But also, oh um, I like to keep some snacks. I like to keep some snacks with me. So I always pack things like dark chocolate and dried fruit and yeah. fresh fruit when I can to keep with me because there will inevitably be plane delays. Um, and then... You know, I, I'm lucky that the cities I'm going to, I have a lot of chef friends in. So when I right. have a spare moment on the road, an hour here and there, I can sneak in and, and get a good bite of food wherever I am. Yeah, I, it has. I meant to, um, you know, ask you about this when we were talking about the show and kind of the the driving mechanism behind it. One of the things that has been um, most appealing over the years to me is as you go from location to location, you're able to, to deliver to f- the viewing public, the eating experience of that particular town. I love the, the job that you guys did on Washington, DC. You were here yeah. at a moment when the, when the DC food scene was really coming into its own and it just continues to blossom. But you know, you guys have done a great job of exporting what's going on. The next season is in Denver, Colorado, which I, I'm a dummy, so it never struck me as a as a great sort of culinary destination. What's going on in Denver that's interesting, food-wise? Well, that, that's kind of why I think it's going to be so great to be in Denver. I actually never really spent time in Denver before I went to shoot the show, and I didn't either. You know, Denver is a city that's on my radar for a lot of things, but actually right. mostly for sports, you know, for football and baseball, yep. and mountain climbing, sure. and mountain biking, and... Um, so I knew about that stuff, and I knew that it was a pretty city in terms of where it was situated. What I didn't realize about Denver is that it is one of the fastest-growing cities in America. And because okay. of that, it's become, it, or or the reason for that is because it's become a bit of a tech hub, and there's so much young 
startup entrepreneurship happening in Denver. And when that happens, the food comes inevitably with it. And there has been a huge movement in Denver, which happens in New York, which happens in L.A., which, you know, happens in so many in Portland, for example, and is now happening in Denver. And in Austin, Texas is another great example where, you know, the, the tech boom and, and entrepreneurship and this migration of young people to the city at an incredible rate has forced neighborhoods that were otherwise very raw and ungentrified to become gentrified because those warehouses become, you know, business, you know, business tech companies. And right. all of a sudden, all those employees need a place to eat. And that, and the young chefs get pushed out of the expensive neighborhoods where they can't afford rent anymore. And so they move to these old warehouse neighborhoods that otherwise you would never have set foot in five years ago and open gritty, cool, young restaurants. And so when I was in Denver, we got to discover them all, which was so amazing and so much fun. Um, well, we're looking you know, I ate so yeah. many meals in, in Denver that I hadn't anticipated. And the other big thing about Denver in terms of the season is not only is there this really energetic, really cool young food scene going on in Denver, but visually, the state of Colorado is unlike anywhere we've shot before. You know, we usually sit, shoot in big urban centers, and sometimes we get out to the countryside a little bit or on the water. But Colorado is like, I mean, it's epic in terms of right. the physicality of the state. So we were yep. in Telluride, and we were in Boulder, and we were in, um, and we were in Aspen, and we got to go out into the mountains. We shot an episode at thirteen thousand feet one day. We, I went mountain biking and zip lining, and we were able to challenge the chefs to cook in a different way than we ever have because of the altitude, which calls for a whole ah, different set of skills. Right, right, right. So fascinating and beautiful. I mean, we also were shooting there in May and June, which sounds like it'll be beautiful and 70 degrees every day. But the first day of the first elimination challenge, we had a massive hailstorm, and then it snowed two feet, two feet the next <laughs> week. So we were just faced with enormous challenges of weather and, um, and Mother Nature that I thought was really cool. So I was psyched that. Yeah, it really taught me a lot. Uh, I'm psyched to see it. It's it's, it's going to be incredible. I'm sure. Um, so last I thing, one of the okay. things I like to do with, with guests, and I'm sorry for springing this on you. I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to do this to you. So it's okay if you if you need a couple seconds to get your thoughts together. I ask sure. folks to tell me about about their last meal on earth. And it doesn't have to be, yeah. it could be one thing, it could be five things, it could be 10 things. Um, Gail Simmons, what would your last meal on earth look like? You know, surprisingly, I've thought about this a lot. You're not the first person to ask it, although okay. my answer changes <laughs> every day. Sure, sure, of course, really of course. what I'm craving in that moment. Yeah, um, yep. But I would say I would have, I mean, first of all, it's really my last meal on earth. I'm not holding back, right? There's no reason to have a salad. Like, right, no, 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 no. But I would probably have to start with a pasta because mm. that's what I crave. Um, yeah. And the most decadent pasta that I love the most is like a sea urchin pasta with chilies and sea urchin butter and lots of black pepper. And wow, um, that would be something I want. Yeah, a lot of like a giant bowl of, and no one can share it with me. Um, I'd probably want a really charred, a perfectly medium rare porterhouse steak. Um, yes, as well because it's primal yes. and there's nothing more I want to sink my teeth into. Um, 
on the side, it's funny that, that my last meal has become steak and potatoes because it's not necessarily something I eat all the time. I would actually want something like sushi as well in there, something really clean, incredible quality sashimi and sushi, you know, made by one of many sushi masters that I would love to cook for me. Um, really yes. savory and nuanced, beautiful sushi because that's one of my favorite things to eat too. Um, on the side with the steak, there's a recipe in my book that I am sort of obsessed with for salt and vinegar smashed potatoes. And I think mm. they're the best way to eat potatoes. So I oh want them. And then for dessert, oh God, I want everything for dessert. It would probably be a toss-up between banaki pie, which I also have in my book, which I actually originally created the recipe for because my friend used to have um, a photography and video website about people's last meals, and I made this for her. Banaki pie oh. is a very traditional British dessert, but it, um, it, I make mine with a chocolate for crust, lots of dolce de leche, layers of banana, whipped cream, salted peanuts, shaved chocolate on top. It's like the most decadent, delicious, ridiculous pie you've ever had. But either have that or a dozen just out of the oven freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I don't know where, where to go from that. Her first cookbook Bringing it home, favorite recipes from a life of adventurous eating drops tomorrow. That's October the 24th, 2017. And look for her in a city near you because Gail is going all over this great country of ours to talk about the book. And she's going to be doing some cooking along the way as well. Gail Simmons, thank you so much for joining us on House of carbs. Thank you so much. It was so much fun chatting. I can't wait to do some brisket fried rice. I'm holding you to that. Yeah. I'm in. Anytime. All right, Hungry Homies. Big, 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 big thanks to Gail Simmons. Mega food TV star. That was so much fun talking to her. Best of luck, Gail, on your book and your national and international travels because Canada isn't in the United States of America. Podcast Pals, that does it for this week's House of Carbs. Please keep up the outstanding belly sourcing. You can hit us on Instagram at the House of Carbs. Please keep sending along outstanding pictures, even if we are not able to push your picture to the front of the line. We are very much enjoying. I have this great picture from our Instapal at Instatimba Poutine. Look at this innovation on poutine from Revolution Rotisserie. Gravy cheese, rotisserie chicken smothered on some crispy tots. That is not a classic poutine, but that is a classic dish that belongs in my belly. So, pals, please keep up the outstanding input. We also are on Twitter, at House of Carbs. You can hit us up there. I'm at House from D.C. on both Twitter and the Instagram. So if you want to hit me there, you should feel free to do that. Please hit us up with a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast my friends we shall be back with another house of carbs next week but in the meantime let's stay hungry out there